Welcome to the For the Church podcast, another great gospel-centered resource from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. My name is Jared Wilson. I'm an assistant professor of pastoral ministry and author in residence at Midwestern Seminary. And I'm here as always with my friend, my colleague, my co-host, Ross Ferguson. How are you, brother? I see you went back to asking the question. Well, I just, I can't get it out. I want to know how you are. Is it any different from the 45 minutes ago we recorded the last episode? Well, what I can tell you is I'm halfway through. You're almost done with Iron Brew. I'm halfway through my bottle of Iron Brew, which means I'm uh, starting to buzz with sugar. Uh, We haven't connected, I feel, publicly or even privately about our our year's journey in self-control. Oh, Uh, Yeah. I am currently yeah. at 25 pounds Good loss. Job. So I've got five more pounds from the recording of this episode to go because I'm okay. trying to hit 30 pounds. I'm at this stage now, because I'm a tight Scotsman, I don't like spending money, yeah. where I've put more holes in my belt. Yeah. And I just had to buy a new one. Well, see, I, I got tired of putting holes. I actually bought a new one. There you go. And then had to put another hole in it. Hey, and all right. <laughs> it's kind of getting that awkward stage now off. I probably need to buy a second new one. So I, okay. I, it's going well. Congratulations. I'm starting to tire a little bit, though, with yeah. it. It's starting to... Well, I've plateaued in the sense that I've hit 40 pounds, uh, and I can't get beyond 40 mm. pounds. I want to hit 50, maybe 55, but 50 would be great. I've plateaued at 40. Becky's outlook on this is that you've been, you know, as we've traveled, I haven't been able to be as disciplined. I've I've done some workouts, but she was like, you haven't gained, mm. you know, that's good that yeah. over the last several weeks, you just stayed at this 40 pound yeah. loss. You haven't gained weight. Yeah. Like, oh yeah, that's a good way that's to a, look at it. Yeah. That's a positive way to look at it. But yeah, I, so going into December in particular, so I'm home at the end of these travels, looking at December onward, like I need to ratchet it up. I've yeah. already gotten a plan. I got to, I need to buy, I need to order some more weights. Mm. I need to add some weights to my weight training routine and- Get a little more strict yeah. in terms of, you know, some calorie. I still stuff, haven't I switched to weights yet. I'm still okay. just excessively well, you may walking. still be at the age, man. Your metabolism still working. I was okay. targeting 10,000 steps a day. Okay, yeah. I, I'm now averaging 15,000 steps a day. There you go. My, That'll do it. <laughs> I'm bored on these walks. Yeah. It's the same walks. Well, it's going to start getting super cold, too. Yeah. I, I would say my diet, I'm... I have returned to a little bit more sugar, but I'm just, I'm still not eating that much. Yeah. I, I think I've I think both of us are probably at that plateaued level of I don't need to eat as much as I used to eat, and there's certain foods oh, I yeah. enjoy more now to eat. And I, <laughs> Miriam and I were laughing a year ago if if I ate a salad with you know peppers and whatever in it, she would have said, "What's wrong with you?" And now <laughs> I'm kind of normally the there. Diet. Yeah, I still like a burger though. I so. mean, I had juice for lunch yesterday. I'm going to have juice for lunch today. It's just part of the lifestyle, man. Yeah. We're just walking examples of fitness as well. I, I don't know if we're there yet. <laughs> <laughs> Getting there. Hey, some reviews to cover here. This comes from Jay Rumley. I know this, Phil. He's a friend of mine, pastor, I'm pretty sure. I think I know who this is. Great podcast. Five stars. Helpful for those in the local church. Encourages us to think through topics and apply to our context. Fun banter, relevant, and meaningful topics. Here comes from Jay Byer. Jay Byer. Five stars. Jared and Ross bring humor. More Jared. I don't know what that means. And knowledge with, I need to do more humor. Uh, see, I would think, I he thinks he's saying you're more funny than I Oh, I thought he was saying I need to bring more humor. Thanks for thinking well of me rather than. Uh, <laughs> I didn't understand it. <laughs> yeah, okay. Whether that's a compliment or not. Thanks, Jay Byer, I suppose. Bring humor and knowledge with banter and deep conversations ranging in topics from church issues to personal spiritual disciplines. Their commitment to biblical accuracy is prevalent and welcomed. 
Ross's unapologetic opinions are fantastic. Many church leaders shy away from hurting people's feelings. <laughs> However, Ross is brutal. At, no, sorry. <laughs> However, Ross calls the issues as he sees them. He certainly does. The way for a true change of heart is through exposing the problems of the church and individuals. Then Jared and Ross give applications to apply to our lives. I should take away a star for not being affiliated with Southern Seminary, but I decided not to hold it against you. In all seriousness, though, keep up the great work. I'm officially not a freeloader anymore. Well, Jay Byer, we're grateful for our friends at Southern Seminary. And I just want to thank you for not saying the, the Southern, Southern Baptist yes. Seminary. Um, but we appreciate it. Jay Willie, 253, truly for the church, five stars. Started listening when I lived in Seattle, knowing God called me to pastoral ministry. Not sure how to pursue that calling. I stumbled upon this podcast, and eventually God called me to Midwestern Seminary. Coincidence? I think not. I've even got the chance to meet Jared and Ross on campus. What makes this podcast special is that Jared and Ross care. They care about God and his gospel, about the church, about people, and it clearly shows through each episode. There's a ton of Christian podcasts out there making it hard at times to sift through who's in it for a platform and who's in it for God and his people. These guys are the latter. Thanks for your love, dedication, and obedience to our Lord. Well, thank you, Jay Willie. Yeah. I almost felt weird reading that one. It was so adulatory. Yeah. You guys are so wonderful. I mean, we do care. Uh, I mean, so. we do care. I do. Yeah. I appreciate that. And finally, Xeon, Exion, Exion, Exion 10, five stars. Very thankful for Jared and Ross and how they continue to push us all toward gospel centrality, pursuit of Jesus, and love for the church and the lost. Look forward to it every week. Keep up the good work, fellas. We will. Thank you, Xeon. Totally appreciate that. Love these reviews. And you know what gets a lot of good reviews is the mailbag episodes. People love the mailbag episodes. It's another mailbag. I've got a a secret idea for a new feature that I want to do on the podcast. Okay. I'm going to drop it right here. Okay. See what people think. It's called grab bag, not mailbag. Okay. But grab bag. And we'll do it maybe every six episodes or something. Here's the idea. You tell me what you think, and and the listeners can tell me what they think. Grab bag is we each bring two topics or questions— but we don't tell the other one what they are. Oh, wow. And so, or maybe just one, depending yeah. on how, but we'll, we'll come prepare with two. And then we'll say, Ross, I want to hear you talk about X, or what do you think about this, or okay. what are your thoughts on that? And the idea is to get some good conversation, yeah. but it's a grab bag. We don't know what's in the we grab don't know bag. There. Yeah. I'm up for that. You like that? I have a funny feeling we're going to have yeah. pie in our face by the end of it. But, but it, it would be fun. I think it would be fun. Yeah. Okay. So let's do that for an episode n- next year. Yeah. Next recording session, we'll, we'll add a grab bag episode in there. But this is a mailbag, and we've got some good questions here. This one comes from Sam on Facebook. What do you do when you're feeling burnt out or discouragement in ministry? Take you, a break. Okay. Take a break. <laughs> Honestly, take this, a is, breather. this is what I've learned. Take a break. Yeah. If you can't take a long break, take a short break, go for a walk. You know, just get away from what you're doing. Yeah. Switch off the phone, switch off the emails, just switch the whole thing down and get away. You might have to do it on your own. I can't do that. Let's just hypothetically. Okay. Can't do it. Can't take a break. I'm a solo pastor. All these things depend on me. I And I cannot say I'm not doing this today because if I'm not doing it, it's not done. You're wrong. Okay. That's what I'm just going to say straight up. Because you're not God. Because you're not God. You are yeah. not bringing salvation to this church 
Christ is bringing salvation mm. to these people. They, you should be modeling what scripture models, which is taking rest and trusting the Lord to handle these things. Now, maybe you are very busy and maybe it's really hard to take a break, but you cannot say to me, you can't take a few hours off in an evening. There yeah. can be a few hours in the morning where you go in a little bit later. You, you just, no pastor can say that to me because I've lived that. I had those excuses. <laughs> well, so he says burnt out or discouragement. So- yeah. My advice That's the burn is a little one. different. So for discouragement, I want to say, well, go back to if you're experiencing this right now, anyone listening, and you're feeling discouragement in ministry, go back and listen to the Thanksgiving week episode. Oh, Maybe yeah. you skipped that because you're like, oh, Thanksgiving, <laughs> it's a theme episode. But we really did try to expand it, just an attitude of Thanksgiving. Mm. If you're discouraged, like go through some of the practical things we talk about in there, slowing down, uh, recommitting to prayer, uh, making a list of of things, being more mindful, re- reducing the, atta- the amount of time you're on your phone. Like th- some of these things play on your emotions mm-hmm. and on your even neurology in ways that you probably don't understand. Discouragement, it means, I think, slowing down, becoming more focused and prayerfully asking the Lord for comfort yeah. and being in his word. That's where our yeah. encouragement comes from. Burnout, on the other hand, if you're beginning to feel burnout, like you should have sirens going off. Yes. To keep going when nothing changing is to basically ask for disaster. Yep. So I would say, yes, Take you got to shut things down, emergency leave, something. Talk to whoever you need to talk to about a sabbatical, an extra day off or two or something to get a sense of refreshment mm-hmm. and recharge. Like burnout is a – like that's not going to go away yep. by just sort of, well – I'll take a load off an afternoon yeah. or something like that, you know. For the That's discouragement, a lifestyle change. The discouragement thing, two very quick things. One, tell somebody. Mm. So it might it might be your wife, it might be a church member, it might be someone outside of the church. Don't hide in your discouragement. Open up to somebody about that. And second, something I used to do, there was a guy in my last church called George. He was just the most encouraging guy you could be around. I would find myself spending more time with him. Just when you're feeling discouraged, be around people that actually encourage you. I'm not saying give up the day job, but George was just one of those men that I could go and spend half an hour with and I would leave feeling better. Yeah, And that was his spiritual gift. He literally was an encourager. Even on his deathbed, I, I went to visit him. He was encouraging me yeah. to keep going. So yeah, friend, tell somebody and go and spend some time around people that actually bring you bring you some joy. Yeah, pastorally, I usually call this spending more time with low-maintenance people. Yeah. I, I mean, I hate to call some people high-maintenance because even high-maintenance people don't always mean to be high-maintenance. You just, you're hurting, you're struggling, you're suffering. That's not anything you brought on yourself. So I don't mean high-maintenance in the sense that, like, you're a problem person. But for pastors, if they're always reacting to the pastoral need or the request— it just the the level of burdens and care can begin to push you towards burnout. So you need to intentionally spend time with folks who have not asked for your time or who have not reached out to you that you just want to go and get to know better, you want to spend time with, or like you said, those encouraging people, the people who are going to pour in, spend time with those folks, and you'll get a different viewpoint, yeah. a different vision for your ministry. All right, good question, Sam. This comes from Jonathan on Twitter. He wants to know, what's your favorite dad joke? <laughs> You got a favorite dad joke, I only have one joke. Okay. So what did the tie say to the hat? What did the tie say to the hat? I don't know. You go on ahead. I'll just hang around here. That's pretty good. That's a dad joke. That is a dad joke. joke. My my favorite dad joke is just the classic, the Coke classic dad joke, which is when your kid says, I'm hungry, or I'm tired. You say, hi, tired. I'm dad. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) Say, dad, I'm, I'm, I'm bored. Hey, bored. I'm dad. 
That's my favorite dad joke. That sounds annoying. <laughs> I know. It's just the classic, you know. Yeah, it's such a dad. It's, it's so on brand for dad. <laughs> it's about as as uh, on brand as like new white New Balance sneakers and jean shorts. All right. <laughs> this comes from Brad on Twitter. Brad on Twitter says, any advice for pastoral counseling for couples who are cohabitating? I'm thinking of couples who are not members of the church, but who are attending and even are feeling called to be baptized and want to be brought in as church members. So attenders of the church, maybe regulars attenders of the church, who are living together, unmarried. Advice for pastoral counseling? Get married. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we said we'd be quick on this question. Get married. Hebrews 13. Tell them to get married. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. Get married. If you want to be a member, you want to be baptized, get married. Yeah. I'll just add one shade of nuance to it. Not to the the requirement to get married, but just to say in pastoral counseling is to say, if they're aspiring to church membership, if they're claiming to follow Christ, you just call them to obedience to Christ. You just say, this is what Jesus requires of us. And if we're going to live in submission to him, this is a big test. Yeah. I mean, if you already made the big step of living together, make the covenant commitment to become one flesh. That's what Jesus would ask. I couldn't baptize you If you have this area of unrepentance in your life, it's a big sign that you're not repentant. So, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, tell them to get married. So, sorry, Brad, (laughs) if you wanted more more (laughs) substance there. We've probably both been in this situation. I've I've I've, had this situation. I've done the same thing. essentially what I did. I mean— I took more time to say it, uh, or I <laughs> yeah, met with them. Say, I went to their, I went to their house, but I basically was like, "Y'all need to get married." Yeah. You know. Okay. This comes from Tim on Facebook. Tim on Facebook says, "How can we develop a church culture where people are meditating on the Bible for themselves and not just relying on meetings mm. for the teaching?" You know, I say this all the time. It's one of the reasons why your sermons should be substantially biblical. And shouldn't be too short. I'm not a big fan of long sermons, but I think there's such a thing as too short. And it's because the most Bible most Christians get is on Sunday morning. Yeah. And so Tim is, I think, addressing that idea. The most Bible most people get is on Sunday morning. How do we work against that so people yeah. are yeah, participating in Bible intake outside the Sunday morning gathering? Yeah, so I have one with uh, support. And the, and the one piece of advice is you want to be heading people to daily Bible reading. And you can use programs if you want, but ultimately what you're trying to help people do is to, to pick up their Bibles and read it daily. And I have found that has the greatest impact on people's lives in terms of Bible intake of just reading it every day. So whether it's two chapters a day, one chapter, whatever, just help your church read it every day. Now, For some people in your church, the Bible just seems inaccessible. It it seems complicated. So help them with that. Keep them accountable on that. And it might be that you're giving resources. What I did in my last church is we did a daily Bible reading program, 365 days through the Bible, a few chapters every day. And every single day, I released a podcast of about five to 10 minutes explaining that day's passage and how it might apply to our everyday life. It was a big undertaking. I'm not necessarily suggesting doing that, but it helped the church engage with their reading every day. And with just a helpful hint, not necessarily recommending this individual entirely, but Warren Wearsby has with the word, and it literally breaks up every chapter into just a simple application every, every time points to Christ. Help your church with resources and point out to them that their daily Bible reading really is one of the simplest, easiest way to commune with God. Yeah. We did the same thing at my last church. We did a corporate reading plan. We had a devotional book. It, it wasn't upper room, but it was something like that. It was a little paperback mm. thing about the size of a, a little bit bigger than a note card. 
that had just kind of a read through the Bible type thing going on, daily devotions, just a simple page. And we bought enough copies for everyone in the church to take one. So we were resourcing them with it physically. We're not just saying, hey, go buy this. Mm-hmm. And I know a church is of a certain size. Perhaps you're not able to do this. But we were able to do like, let's just you know get them. Hey, take yeah. one. They're on the front table. We're going to read through this together. But then we're making reference to it. So Sunday morning, even, one of the elders who gets up to the scripture reading will be like, hey, this week we read such and such. So if you're not keeping up, you may be like, oh, we did? We're supposed to read yeah. that? You know? So you're just kind of giving nudges. Maybe I'm sending out an email or posting on the church Facebook something like, hey, this morning's reading was really helpful. And I'm so I'm mentioning it throughout the week that I'm reading it as a pastor, and that's encouraging people to do it. But at the same time, like apart from any kind of program, stricture, curriculum sort of thing, if you're a Bible church and a Bible preacher, don't underestimate the impact over time. You know, one sermon usually isn't a silver bullet, a couple sermons isn't a silver bullet, but over time, stirring an appetite mm-hmm. in your people for the word. So when when Tim says, How does a church develop a culture and you know, outside the Sunday meeting for Bible appetite outside the Sunday meeting, I say it, it begins in the Sunday meeting. Like yeah. that's really where you're setting yeah. the tone. So if you've got a Bible rich service and you're not treating the scripture like something as a formality. You're not treating it as something, oh, yeah, we got to use this. Mm-hmm. It's not like the wallpaper of the service, but like it's clear, man, you're preaching with passion. I, I even think down to like the scripture readings. If so, if, if there's passages of scripture being read, are they just like, this is the transition? Or yeah. like, oh, we need a Bible verse here. If you have a formal scripture reading time, like someone comes up to read a passage of scripture, is that person trained to read it in an engaging way? Yeah. That may, like, circumstantially, it may not be a huge deal, but over time, like, it's shaping people to see the Bible as either exciting mm-hmm. and and affectionate and stirring or as just sort of the dry religious thing that we got to do because it's, you know. And, you know, so don't underestimate the impact of your Sunday morning gathering on how people live their life the rest of the week. It's got to make a difference or we wouldn't do it, yeah. right? And it, we just have to be trained to think like, oh, this is an overtime thing. This yeah. isn't a, they're going to suddenly have this appetite because yeah. I preached a killer sermon on loving your Bible more. Yeah. Like that might work for one person, <laughs> but m- most often it's just the way you preach, the way that you approach the Bible over time, your church is being shaped. Yeah. I think, I think preaching with that excitement that God's word is transformative. I, I remember preaching the sermon on Daniel and the lion's den, and I actually stopped the sermon before the lion's den is opened and, and Daniel calls out. Mm. So I stopped the sermon before that. And there was a lady in our church who had never read the book of Daniel. And I left at that point and, and she came up to me afterwards and said, I, I'm not going to read the rest of the passage. I'm kind of excited as to what I'm going to find out. I'm going to leave it for the week. And when I preached the sermon the next week and I and you know Daniel calls out that he's still there, <laughs> she audibly gasped because wow. she had never read the passage. Okay. And she said it was the excitement of wow, God really did save him. And it was that when we preach sermons, we need to be preaching as if it's the first time we've come to this passage and seeing the beauty that's there. Don't grow stale in your preacher. Ah, oh, I preached this 10 years ago. I guess I kind of know. Preach it anew, afresh, as if there's someone in the room that yeah. has never heard this before. And that makes them want to go, I want to read more of this. I want to delve more into this. I, I didn't realize it was this transformative and that lady went on to do the Bible reading program for a couple of years and really enjoyed it. So, oh, excellent. Um, yeah, I would really encourage you, be excited about God's word in the pulpit, and then your church will be excited about it Monday to Saturday. That's good. This question comes from Caleb on Twitter. Caleb asks, what is the proper role for apologetics in the sermon? What's the proper role for engaging in academic conversations from the pulpit? 
For example, the Canaanite conquest or issues related to the Trinity, doctrine of the Trinity, freedom of the will, etc. Yeah, how do you know how to incorporate these sort of features or facets mm. in your preaching? I'm going to leave this mainly for the assistant professor to answer. <laughs> uh, I will just give a small okay. uh, mention. Preach the passage. Okay. Try and remember that most people in your room are not academic in their mindset in yeah. terms of they haven't had hours on end to study this. So if you are going to go an academic route and you are going to do apologetic within the sermon, you're going to have to do it quickly so that you don't have a lot of time to dedicate to this. You're going to have to do it very clearly and you're likely going to have to cut out a lot of the discussion just to get to the main headings. Yeah. Um, so I'm just kind of going, if you are going to do it, do it simply, clearly and quickly. Okay. I'll leave it now to the assistant professor. <laughs> well, that's good. Well, I mean, my, my advice would not be significantly different or off kilter from what you just said. The, the goal as, as you're, you know, the goal of pulpit preaching is, ex, you know, an expositional message from the scriptures, which means, and it's by tenor proclamation, uh, which means that what we do on Sunday mornings isn't a lecture. So it's not an intellectual exercise purely or, or entirely. It may begin that way in some sense, but you're aiming at the heart, through the mind, yes, but at the heart for worship of Christ. Therefore, it, it's not a lecture. It's not an academic presentation. It is a sermon, which is a fundamentally different thing. Now, it can include facets of what he's asking about here, an academic little rabbit trail mm -hmm. or some kind of apologetic sort of thing. I would almost put those on different categories because in some respects, doing apologetic work in a sermon may work to, towards the end of the gospel if you have mm -hmm. unbelievers in the room. I would just say, what's in service of the text you're preaching? If it feels like a rabbit trail, oh, this reminded me of this thing that I'm not going to spend six minutes talking about, mm -hmm. that's probably not a good sign that you're preaching an expositional sermon. However, if you're preaching a sermon and something is in the text— that your people are going to naturally have a question about yep. or naturally go, what's that about? Or it makes them think of something. It's worth spending some time as part of your exposition to, yep. to address that. I mean, I think of things like, you know, Paul referencing the third heaven or something. The whole point of that passage is not about the third heaven. It's about suffering and, and, and Christ being his sufficiency and suffering. But if you just don't say anything about that, people are going to be like, what the heck does that mean? Yep. So you have to address it. I think also apologetically— if you're preaching on the resurrection or you're preaching on—and you just know there's folks in the room, like, they're going to have an objection. And the text especially speaks to some of these issues, mm -hmm. the bodily resurrection of Christ. Yeah, taking a few minutes, particularly, say, on, on Easter, you know, in your Easter message, where you may have a larger number of unbelievers present who've yeah. come as visitors, or just people who think they're Christians and they show up because it's Easter and— you want to present an apologetic case for the bodily resurrection of Christ, the historicity of the resurrection. Those are all appropriate to mm -hmm. the exposition. It's when you start getting sidetracked, and this is now, oh, this made me think of this, and it's just a curiosity. That's where you kind of, I think, need to be careful. And then I think on issues like, okay, Trinitarian controversies, EFS, and I assume this is what he's talking about. Yeah. Um, you know, <clears throat> eternal functional subordination, those sorts of things. I think they could be helpful as maybe illustrative content. So you're maybe you're preaching a passage that's speaking to the you know the, the Trinity, and you're faithfully you know articulating the doctrine of the Trinity biblically. Maybe use as a, an illustration 
hey, there's a debate about this currently, yes. and now you're going to weigh in on it. You're giving your people guidance related to that, but not as a replacement for the exposition. Like I wouldn't, yeah. you know, here's my soapbox on EFS and eternal, you know, relations, you know, I mean, that sort yep. of thing. Don't let it replace the exposition of the passage. Let it be more of an illustrative application or something like that. And you do not need to wait into every opinion about it. I, I know, oh, right, exactly. I know yeah, a preacher yeah. that feels that like he has to give all the views and then pick his one and then present it. No, you can say, there's a debate about this. There's about That's three or four views. I'll give you time, personal time to look at the other views. Where I stand would be here. Again, if you've got 35 to 40 minutes before your church... I want a packet full of things that are going to be transformative, which is ultimately the gospel, which is ultimately the arc of a, of a sermon, which is to preach for a verdict, which is to come to Christ and, mm. and to bow the knee before Christ. If you're going to use academia or apologetics, it needs to serve that purpose, not take the purpose. Yeah. Um, and the easiest way to know if you're doing it right or not, get a cross-section of your church. Teenagers, family members, older saints, academics, non-academics, and just ask them the simple question, do you get lost in my sermons? Just ask them the question and, and, and seek the honest answer. And yeah. if they're saying yes, it's time to, uh, time to skill up a little bit. <laughs> All right. Thanks for the question, Caleb. This comes from Dave on Facebook. Dave asks, how do you identify potential elders? This is a pretty simple answer for me as well. But, well, I mean, what do you think? Two things. One, Timothy okay. three. So use biblical standards. And second, he said, how do you, I would argue that it's not you, it's the church. The church identifies who should be the elder. All right. I I didn't, yeah, freight anything in on the word you there. I just thought he meant like, how does one or how does... The church identifies the the elders through 1 Timothy 3 qualifications and recognizing these qualifications in a lived out life before them. Yes, I think that second, I mean, certainly the qualifications. You're wanting someone who's biblically qualified, not just someone who is talented, Mm -hmm. someone who's a gifted speaker. Or a personality. Yeah, those are all great things. This This kind of goes back to like, how did... You know, how do a bunch of churches find deacons? Well, you find the businessmen in the in in the church, the guys who have influence, the guys who leads who are successful leaders in the marketplace, et cetera. Those have got to be your deacons. Well, no, there's no. actually biblical qualifications, yep. and it's great if they're a successful leader and good businessmen. But that's not what the Bible says yep. a deacon has to be or must be. Those are all bonuses. Similarly, if you're looking for pastors, First Timothy three, Titus chapter one, First Peter chapter five. These passages tell us this is what elders ought to be character-wise. If they're great speakers, dynamic orators, fantastic. If they're dynamic leaders, fantastic, et cetera. Those those are all good things to look for, but those are not the qualifications, Mm -hmm. right? So you're looking for the qualifications. And then, as you said, the thing is, like, are these people serving in this way already? Like, without, they're not waiting on the title or the office, per se. Like, they're not, you know, operating as if they have spiritual authority, but there's someone who's caring for others. Yeah. They're helping, they're discipling others. They're communicating the scriptures clearly to others. They're in a way functioning in the in the pastoral role, especially mm-hmm. as it pertains to care, perhaps counsel, discipling. They have a pastoral disposition yeah. and presence in the church. There's people who go to them for advice and for, you know, input yeah. and they're seen that way already without the title. Yeah. Pastor so and so or elder so and so. That's how you identify. Yeah. I think the thing to I won't say stay away from, because I know some f- folks employ this and it's been successful, but the thing to, to think carefully about is this idea of like the elder track where we just take a guy who's smart yeah. or or who just wants to be an elder and we put them in this pipeline and at the end of this process, now he's elder qualified. 
I understand why people do that, particularly if it's just like a discipleship thing, but it should not be an automatic, hey, you no. went through these courses, so you're an elder now. No, like it needs to be character, lifestyle yeah. examination as well. It's it's hard to take raw material and put them through the sausage machine and out comes the elder at the other end. Typically, the ones who come out the elder on the other end are guys who are already kind of yep. you know, aiming at those qualifications already, yeah. and they're just going through the hoops that you put in front of them. That's a good word for anyone at seminary as well. Just because mm. you, you graduate with a degree doesn't actually mean you have the qualifications <laughs> to be an elder Amen. or a pastor. You, you actually Amen. need to live this out uh, it also as individuals. doesn't necessarily mean you're smart. Well, <laughs> it means well, you're smart for that day for that, that, day. that test happened yeah. you know? well, or for that paper. It's the story of my life right now. <laughs> no, so. no, you're a smart guy. Yeah. Hey, those were some good questions. We got 30 minutes, 20 and 30 seconds. Yeah. We said we were going to try to hit 30 minutes. We had to cut a couple of questions, but... Hopefully people enjoy the episode mm. shorter than usual, but that's okay. If you enjoy the podcast, your listener, give us a good review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. You might hear your review on the program. And pay attention to social media next time we send out some For the Church questions for the mailbag. Let us know. And if you like the grab bag idea, let us know on social media. You've got our handles on Twitter and Facebook, et cetera. Find us, say, hey, let's do the grab bag. That'll give us some extra juice to really do it up right. And until next time, may Jesus be big in your church. You've been listening to the For the Church podcast, hosted by Jared Wilson, found online at ftc.co. This resource is brought to you by Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary in Kansas City, Missouri, where we train leaders for the church. 